Hey, anytime we share about Swaziland or Honduras, what we're doing there, I always get a couple of emails or comments afterwards, and, and you have thoughts that we all have, like, hey, why are we doing that all over the world when we got so much need right here in our own city, right? Why, why do this? Why do we always talk about orphans over and over and over, right? And, and why do we have so many people who are really excited about adoption and stuff like that? I mean, just, just counting up some of the names, like in our, and there's more that I couldn't even think of this morning, but like the Mennings and the Yorks and the Cravens and the Winters and the Lukes and the Sopers, the Rutledges, the Kokershites, we're talking about Swaziland, How, you know we talk about holding out help and there's a number of kids here in our state that get kicked out of their families and holding out help is a group that helps rescue them in and puts them in families like ours and why do we spend so much time as a church talking about those who are estranged from their parents, talking about those who are fatherless. Why do we do that? That's really where we want to start today. Um, because if you don't know why we talk about it, you might just think, well, we're just trying to be good people, right? Or we're just trying to kind of serve our community. And while there's parts of that that, that might align parallel-wise, that's not the heart motive for it. See, we are for the orphan here at K2 because God is for the orphan. Right? In a strange way that he says, I am God and I am for this group of people. So we're going to jump into the word and we're going to look at that um, even right from the start. So uh, turn, or you can look on your, uh, you can look on the screen, you can turn in the Bible, or uh, you can get on version. And we're going to start in Deuteronomy 10. Deuteronomy 10, God says this, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. I love that. Another version says God can't be bought. You can't buy God off, right? A lot of us tend to buy God off. Either we'll give a little here and we'll serve a little here. We'll try to be good a little. God can't be bribed by us or by anyone. And he says he shows no partiality, accepts no bribes. Verse 18, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the foreigner residing among you giving them food and clothing. God says, I am the God who made all this, the God of all gods, the Lord of all lords, and I care about the orphan and the widow and the alien who is estranged and struggling among you. God doesn't say, man, I am for those who help themselves. I am for the, the leader and the entrepreneur and the ruler and the power and the authority. He says, I am for the orphan and the widow and the alien, the foreigner struggling to make a living among you. And if you're a follower of God, and if I'm a follower of God, man, my antennas have got to go up and say, God, what does that mean? Why are you for them? And what does that mean for me if I'm a follower of you? Fast forward to the New Testament in James. James 1, uh, James, the brother of Christ, says this, for God, he says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. Their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. And, and the word religion being used in a very good, strong, healthy way. That means real relationship with God, real faith in God that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. God says, if you want to have real relationship with me, it starts in orientation towards the fatherless and the widow. 
toward those who have lost fathers and have lost husbands. Because God says, I'm a father who never leaves, never forsakes. God says, I'm a husband who will never throw you to the side, who will never abandon you, who will never leave you. And so we come here and, and just see right from the start that God cares especially for the orphan. Now I want to talk about the fact that this is not just a, this is not just a social justice issue. Right? We live in a culture and in a day that highly values social justice. Right? Here's the definition of social justice. The ability for a people in a society to realize their potential in the society where they live. Right? A place that is socially just allows people to realize their potential. So we look overseas and we see people locked into a caste system, right? And they are locked into their potential. They are not in this life allowed to rise beyond a certain potential. That's what we love about America, right? We love that someone can work hard and go forward and get a break and, and can rise to their potential. That's kind of how we think of freedom, correct? Nod your head if you understand what I'm talking about, right? Um, if I work hard and save and then I can rise to my potential. We look around the world and we see people in slavery. We see people in sex slavery. We see people all kinds of ways trapped from achieving their potential. And while there is possibility for that to be a noble endeavor, that's not the motivation for why God says he's inclined towards the orphan. Um, While it's possible for that to be... Do you know that it's possible as well for social justice not to be of pure motive. Do you know that we could, hypothetically, we could love social justice, we could love liberty for evil motives? Do you know that, like, I could say, hey, I want everybody to be free to do whatever they want because inside, I really have an anarchy of my own heart. Do you know what I mean? Like, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I am my own God. And a lot of people... They want freedom because of anarchy in their own heart. And that's, that's not God's motivation here. Do you understand that God says he is especially for the orphan because he looks down at you and I and he says, you're orphans. You are orphaned. I, I know some of you don't like the Old Testament. And, um, and I know the Old Testament is long and I know it's confusing stories from time to time. Man, I just, I wish that you would just, just spend hours and years in the Word of God. It, the Old Testament is amazing. It paints this story of the people of God, and they come to Him, and they worship, and then they, they go, and they rebel, and God calls them back, and they come, and they worship, and it's this amazing story of God saying, man, you need to be saved. You need a Father. You need to be loved, and I'm going to read to you today from Ezekiel. It's not going to be up on there. You're going to have to write it down. Ezekiel 16. Go back and read this story later. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, And and really, even the chapter uh, before, a couple chapters before in Ezekiel 11, I absolutely love this verse. God's talking almost about the future to a group of people who are hard-hearted to him. And he says this, And I will give you a singleness of heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take your hearts of stone and give you tender hearts instead. So you will obey my laws and my regulations, and you'll truly be my people, and I will be your God. God says, man, I long for the day when you turn your hard 
heart back towards me and I'll put a soft heart in you. And, and really, in the next couple chapters, he paints this picture. I want you to see how God speaks of us, his people. And this is his people, the people of Israel and Jerusalem. He says this in Ezekiel 16. Just listen. He says, when you were born, no one cared about you. Your umbilical cord was left uncut. You were never washed. You were never rubbed with salt. You were never dressed in warm clothing. No one had the slightest interest in you. It could be like the textbook definition of what it is to be an orphan. Abandoned, thrown out, uncared for. No one had the slightest interest in you. No one pitied you or cared for you. And this is God speaking to his people who are turned away in their stone-heartedness. No one pitied you. On the day you were born, you were dumped in a field and left to die, unwanted. And that's a picture of God speaking to his people. You in your sin and rebellion against God are that orphaned child dumped in a field. But I came by and I saw you there, helplessly kicking about in your own blood. As you lay there, I said, live. And I helped you to thrive like a plant in that field. You grew up and you became a beautiful jewel. And he paints this amazing picture of a young woman who grows up in the safety of knowing her father, having provision, growing up and becoming an, a, a beautiful, mature adult woman. And God says, my desire is for you to turn to me, to have a soft heart, because God says, we with hard hearts, are like orphans. Further, in Romans 8, in the New Testament, Paul says it this way. He says in Romans 8, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. So just quickly, Paul says, Hey, listen, your relationship with God, it's not just transactional. It's not just, uh, yeah. it's not just you had sin and was, Christ paid yeah. the price for your sin and he wiped it away. Now you're clean. It's not just a yes. judicial decision. He says this, the spirit you received brought about Come your adoption to, to sonship. Father, we cry, Daddy. We sit on God's lap as it were as a young child and say this intimate word, Abba, Daddy. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit, that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Further, we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share his glory. If you've become a follower of Jesus, you've become a co-heir with Christ, an heir in the kingdom of God. How many of you grew up and you went over to a friend's house and you were over there so much, it was almost like you were part of that family? right? And you could open the kitchen and grab an apple or open the kitchen. That doesn't really work. Um, well, if there's a door in the kitchen, but you open the fridge, you can grab the milk. You just drink right out of the milk bottle in your friend's house, right? That's really close, right? Um, but still, are you part of that family? In most situations, no, right? Not until you're adopted and brought in and given that name. You can be so close and yet you're not an heir. And listen, friends, church, I mean, God has not just judicially said, okay, now you, you can follow me. Now you can worship me. He has made you his daughter, his son, the God of the universe. He is building his kingdom here, 
the church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we are co-heirs with Christ. I mean, come on. And we don't really understand that. You see, adoption, it's a gospel story, right? The reason God says that we're to be for orphans is because the gospel is an adoption story. Now, you and I, it's hard to get this. You don't get the vacancy of being an orphan unless you were one. I wasn't an orphan. Um, And some of you know my wife, Crystal, and uh, I've asked Crystal to come up. Some of you heard her story a few years ago when we shared it at South Campus. And I just want to talk a little bit about what does this mean to, to really live without the identity of family? Would you welcome Crystal as she comes? Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story with us a little bit again. And, um, and so talk about this that, that I don't get, that we don't get. Absolutely. Thank you. And I just want to say that every story is so precious. Not everybody has my story, but you have your story. And I want you to share it. And I want you to live to the glory of God no matter what your story is. And some of you might, when you think of adoption or you think of orphan, you kind of have a box sense of what that means. Maybe it just means somebody overseas and you go and get them and bring them back and take care of them. But there's orphans right here in our backyard and later you're going to learn about that. And And I was just not that typical orphan story. I wasn't adopted when I was a little baby. I was actually an older child when I was adopted. I was born to very young teenage parents who at the time were in a carnival. They were carnies. I know some of you are jealous. I had carnies (laughs) as parents. And they struggled. They lived in that life of drugs and alcohol, kind of filling up that brokenness and that hurt in their lives from not being raised in a family that was whole. And so my dad, when I was about three, kind of took off and lived his own life and left my mom very vulnerable to know, what am I going to do? How am I going to take care of this child? So uh, she ended up selling her own body to be able to do that. But because of not having a family network, I was kind of brought along into that culture And she struggled, and it was a struggle. And I'd have to say, even as a young person, three, four years old, I knew something was wrong. This is not right. There's darkness here. There's evil. There's hurt. There's harm. Uh, I didn't sleep in the same bed ever. I didn't know if there's any creepy men around. There was drugs around. I didn't know where my next meal was going to come. And yet, in the midst of that, God brought a wonderful woman into my life who cared who deeply cared. And I'd have to say, this was just a weekend relationship that this woman built with me. So any of you that are thinking, uh, you know, I can't do that, but this was just only on a weekend basis. She came into my life. She brought me to her home, and she said, I'm going to care for you. And so she gave me stability and safety, and I would sleep in one bed. I would sleep the whole night. I would have food, clean clothes, And um, I knew the difference, even as a young child, between this life and this life. And she brought me to church, and I saw the families there. And it was like just somebody looking, you know, being on the outside looking in, saying, I want that. I want that security. I want that safety. I want the mom and the dad and the kids and the dog and the home. And and I longed for that as a kid. I didn't know how that was going to come in my life. Things were very unstable. You just don't know at any moment because you have safety in the weekend, and then you go back to your five days of absolute chaos. Some of you have lived this life. You know what this feels like. You don't know what's up or down or which way to go. You still love your mom, but at the same time, you know the difference, and Florence just became that for in my life, and 
finally, as I got a little bit older and in Florida, uh, they wouldn't uh, let a single mom adopt at that time. And again, she was also very older. She was in her um, late 50s. She wasn't so, very old. Oh, okay, sorry. Right, yeah. Sorry. For that day and age in the late 70s, it was considered mm -hmm. older. <laughs> sorry. Um, no offense. Uh, and um, But she never had, never had kids, never married. And adopted at 60 years old for the first time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's amazing, it's awesome. isn't it? It's a, it's a great story. So then I became, at nine years old, I finally became hers. And my mom had to make a really hard decision and sign those parental papers over and say, I can't do this anymore. You may take over mm -hmm. as a parent. She's my hero to this day. I have a relationship with her. I found her again when I was 16. She's my hero. She wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't be here in front of you guys right now. So for those of you who have had to give up children, you do what you have to do, and I am so appreciative of her selfless motive in that, and I became Florence's. I became hers. For the first time, I had a home. I had stability. I had family. I even had a new name, so all of those things came to me as I came into adoption. I was no longer an orphan. I belonged for the first time, and also I got a family, so she's actually Canadian, so it's kind of an international adoption, and I got to know all my Canadian family. I became I became part of them. I became a niece. I became a cousin. I became Florence's daughter, and I belonged for the first time. Made such a difference in my life. Talk about um, kind of the significance of being an heir and just all that Florence really left you in life. So I, I didn't have the privilege of a physical father in my life. I know some of you didn't either. Some of you did have fathers. Some of us have deep father wounds. And, and so my Heavenly Father has become that mm. for me. And at the same time, you always have these ideas of what it would be like to have somebody care for you and give you an inheritance. And, and right now, my, my mom, she was very frugal. We didn't have much, but I became her heir at 60 years old. And yet she gave, mm. left me all that she had. And even Lad and I are in our home because she, provided a down payment for our home. So even then, I became a total heir with her, mm. even though um, she didn't know me until she was, you know, an older, sorry, younger, no, young 50 person. Do you want to share some points on And um, so what got me through many times, just, just, you know, kind of the daddy wounds or the hurt or my mom left me and she couldn't raise me is Psalms 2710 became my verse. And I just really clung to this verse. And it was even if my mother and father abandoned me, the Lord will hold me close. That has just become such a security to me, knowing that no matter what happens, no matter if your mom and your dad abandon you, your heavenly father is going to take care of you. And he loves you so very much. And the gospel is this adoption story. Right? God looks at us and he says, and you're orphaned in your, your stone-heartedness away from me. And I want, to, I want to rescue you and adopt you and make you my daughter, make you my son. And bring us into not just his kingdom or his people, but to make us his, his child, co-heirs with his son, Jesus. It's amazing. We thank God every day for Florence, right? And, man, and I just, I want you to grasp this about God, your father. I want to share with you a story, um, the Chen family. And this is a story of them meeting their, their son. 
And after that, Amy King is going to come up. Amy is one of us here from K2, helped start K2, and many of you know her from the first eight years that she was here, and then has gone away to train at Austin Stone to really lead a, a powerful work here in Salt Lake City called the For the Orphan Network. So right after this video, Amy's going to come up, and uh, when she does, I hope you welcome her. But check this story out trying to have children for the last nine years and um, in that in that time we discovered that um, we had some struggles with infertility I can't wait to see what the next 12 hours or so holds tonight we could be going back to our hotel in California with our baby boy and that's the hope that I'm holding on to In a matter of hours, what I've always, for so many years, have wanted and prayed for is going to happen. You know, the whole trip is all—it's all been about closing the distance between us and our son. I can't believe that. I can't believe that we're this close. Anytime I think about adoption, I think about my spiritual adoption about how Jesus went to infinitely greater lengths to adopt me into the family of God. What a privilege it is to, in, in a smaller way, in a human way, live out some of the truths of the gospel. showed us, you know, even on his little tag, that his identity was baby boy. He didn't belong to anybody, he didn't have a name, um, but in the very instant where the nurse looked at us and said, so what's his name? And we both said together, his name is Jacob. And that very moment, instantaneously, he belonged to us, he had a name, 
and he was known. We prayed for a child, but um, in our prayers, uh, there wasn't a face and there wasn't a name. We were just praying for a child and just asking God to give us a child. It wasn't just a child um, that we were waiting for. It wasn't just a child that God intended to bring into our family. And those years of waiting weren't just because God decided he wanted us to wait an arbitrary number of years or go through an arbitrary experience. Uh, all those years and all the waiting, all those prayers were for him, for Jacob, uh, for our son. It's ultimately God's story that um, we're a part of. We always pray that um, Jacob would know Jesus Christ and uh, pray that God would adopt Jacob twice. He adopted him to our family and we pray that he will adopt him into the family of God. You didn't know that you were going to come to church today and cry your eyes out, did you? <laughs> um, the Chens are really good friends of mine, and so I just I love watching that video. And, and I don't know if you caught it, my, f my favorite part of that video is um, Dennis, the dad. And, and I don't know if you caught it, when, as they were driving to the hospital, he says um, that, this, that this journey, this trip, has been all about closing the distance between me and my son.
need to go to Russia and see what I've been reading about. Um, and so I found an organization that does uh, work over in Russia in orphanages. In fact, it's the same organization that we go to Swaziland with, Children's Hope Chest. And I spent two weeks over in Russia, and I went from one orphanage to the next to the next. And I had my heart broken over and over and over again. And um, I came back from that trip, and the only way to describe it is I just, it ruined my life. <laughs> like, the trip just ruined my life. Like, I came back, and everything changed for me. And I still felt really small in the situation. But I knew two things. I knew that, <clears throat> number one, I had a voice. And these kids did not have a voice. And I also knew that I was responsible now for what I had seen in sharing that. So I was like, well, I'm just going to start talking. You know, I got a degree in communication, so I'm just going to communicate the heck all over the place about what I've seen and what we could possibly do to help. And so K2 eventually ended up sponsoring two of those orphanages that I had visited. And we started taking trips over every six months to do camp like a vacation Bible school type thing with these kids. And something that happened um, that I just did not ever see coming or had plans for was that um, four of the kids that were in one of those orphanages ended up being adopted by families here at K2. And that was a huge turning point for me because, again, I was feeling really small, like I can't do anything. And suddenly there was these four kids that I would see down in Adventure Canyon, and they, I used to see them. They were in an orphanage over in nowhere, Russia. And um, I, I suddenly felt like, you know what? I can do something. And I feel like I'm supposed to be doing this something full time. Um, but I really wasn't sure what it was. And so I just continued to pray and ask God what he wanted. And eventually I felt him laying on my heart um, to, in, here, to, in Salt Lake to start an organization or a ministry that would bring awareness to um, orphans both locally with foster care and globally and everything in between, and that the organization was also, would also connect the churches in the valley so we could do things together, again, locally with foster care, globally. And so, um, as Lad shared, I actually moved away. <laughs> um, and I actually, though, went to a church down in Austin, and I got to spend two and a half years with them. They were doing something very similar, and God opened up an opportunity for me to go and spend two and a half years with them. And so I returned back this past fall, and I am in the process of starting, setting up what is going to be called uh, the For the Orphan Network of Salt Lake City. So that's a little bit of my story, and I'm going to take a drink. But um, what, I want to fit, what do I want to spend the last few um, moments that I have with you guys on um, is something that um, I just feel really strong about sharing with you. And that's the fact that we as the church cannot outsource James 127. Um, that's a verse that Lad shared. I don't know if we can put the verse back up at all, but um, it's the verse that, there it goes. Oh. Yep, there we go. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We can't outsource that job. And um, I want to share a few reasons why, beyond that it's a command. Um, and as I do that, I want to share it in the context of what is going on in our own backyard. So I think a lot of times when we hear the word orphan, we automatically think of the child over in Africa or Russia or China. But we don't often think about what's just going on in our neighborhood, in our backyard. 
And a question that I get a lot from people is, um, do we have orphanages in the United States? Are there orphans in the United States? And I say, um, sort of. <laughs> we have some group homes that are um, for older kids, um, but we really don't have orphanages in the sense that you think. We have what's called the foster care system. Um, and a lot of people know virtually nothing about the foster care system. In fact, um, Focus on the Family did a survey a few years back, and they found that um, almost 50% of the people that they surveyed thought that kids were in foster care because of something that they had done. Like they were delinquent, they were bad kids, and so they were removed. And that is 100% false. Kids are in foster care because there has been abuse or neglect in their home, and the state comes in and they decide it's no longer safe for this child to remain in the home. And they remove that child and put them into a temporary foster home. And right now in the U.S., um, well, right now in the U.S., we have about 500,000 kids who fall into that category. So half a million kids right now at this very moment are living in temporary foster homes. Um, and I say temporary because it's always the goal of the state to reunite that child with their family. That's what they work towards. But sometimes that can't happen. And when it cannot happen, then the state has to sever parental ties um, between parents and child. And that child then becomes a ward of the state. They become an orphan. Those are our orphans here in the United States. <clears throat> and um, right now, about 100,000 kids in the United States fall into that category. So 100,000 kids who are never going back to their families. And right now, they're sitting in temporary foster homes waiting um, for a family to possibly adopt them. Um, so why can't we outsource this, like I said? Um, the first reason we cannot outsource this is because we as the church have the highest motivation of anybody, and that's love. We have a command, but we have this motivation um, of love. And it's not this like ooey-gooey, feely type of love. It's the type of love that says, I'm going to lay my life down for you. Um, the government does a lot of things well. Being a parent is not one of them. <laughs> A pair, uh, the government cannot love. The government cannot parent a child. Um, <clears throat> and I often hear people talk about how crappy the foster care system is. Sometimes you'll hear me talking <laughs> about how crappy the foster care system is in the U.S. And then I have to take a step back and remember that <clears throat> it was never the government's job in the first place to care for these kids. It was our job as the church and believers, and we relinquished our responsibility to them, and they're doing the very best that they can. I want to share uh, with you a story um, about one girl that was in foster care. Um, her name was Shay, and um, she actually grew up in a very chaotic home, uh, kind of similar to Crystal. Parents were alcoholics, um, there was abuse, but Shay went to a church, and people at the church kind of knew what was going on. They didn't know about the abuse, but they knew that there was a lot of problems in the family. The family was very poor. And so the church decide, just decided, hey, when, when we see Shay that has a need, we're just going to insert ourselves into that need. And so one of the ways that they did that was um, every summer for vacation Bible school, somebody paid for Shay to go to vacation Bible school. She's like, I didn't even know that you had to pay <laughs> to go to vacation Bible school. She's like, I just sh showed up. And then also, um, every kid brought a sack lunch with them. And of course, Shay didn't have one, and so a teacher always had a sack lunch. 
And, the, and then even then, she was like, I thought the teacher was just giving sack lunches to everybody. Um, well, Shay was eventually removed from her home at the age of 16. And uh, when the state removes a child, they make a plan. They get together, they have a meeting, they make a care plan. And what was decided for Shay was that they were going to place her in a group home. She's 16 years old, so she's going to age out in a couple of years at 18. They didn't have any available homes for her, so we're going to place her in a group home. And her church got wind of this, and they decided that this was completely unacceptable. And they said, we're going to have our own meeting. <laughs> we're going to have our own care plan meeting. And so they all got together, and somebody said, Shay needs to come and live with one of us. And immediately, um, a single woman raised her hand. and She had been Shay's Sunday school teacher in the past, I think in seventh grade. And she said, Shay can come and live with me. And so that's what happened. And um, I want to show you a picture of Shay, so you can kind of put a face with a name. Um, so Shay was getting ready to marry uh, this guy, Nate, and she had this to say. She said, obviously, being a foster kid, there was really no one to give me away. I have Sherry, and obviously her family is like my family. Her dad was going to walk me down the aisle. But when it came to giving me away, it was kind of awkward, and we didn't know what to do. Sherry was talking about this with some other ladies at the church. And they were like, well, I think that when the pastor asks, we're all going to stand up and say we do. And so on that day, when the pastor said, who comes to give this woman away, the entire church and other people that had a hand in Shay's life all stood up and said we do. Um, I, love, I love that story. And, and what I love about it, too, is that 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 church, they didn't have a ministry to kids in foster care. It was just somewhere, it was in their DNA that we as the church, we are going to care for kids like Shay. And Shay said, um, she said, I didn't become a statistic because I was in the church. The church took care of me. Another reason why we cannot uh, outsource James 127 is because these are our children that I'm talking about. Um, the government has a role, but kind of how I see it is the government has conservatorship over these kids, um, but we, as God's people, should have ownership of these kids. Um, we should consider them our kids because they are. Um, I want to share another story with you, and, and some of you may have heard this story. Um, it was in the news uh, last fall, but it was about a boy named Davion. And Davion lives, I hear, see some of you shaking your heads. Davion uh, is 15 years old, and he lives in Florida. And um, he was born uh, while his mom was in prison. So he was removed and immediately put into foster care. And if you talk to Davion, he will tell you that he has no idea how many homes that he has lived in in those 15 years. He has literally lost track. But he always held out hope that his mom was going to get out of prison, and she was going to come, and they were going to be a family. So last summer, Davion was sitting in front of a computer, and he just was like, I'm just going to Google my mom. He, he knew what her name was. And so he Googled her name, and what he found um, was his mom's obituary. She had died um, just a couple weeks before that. But, um, but Davion still decided, I want a family. And so he went to his caseworker, and he asked his caseworker if she would take him to a church. Um, he said, I know they're out there. There's Davion. He said, I know they're out there, meaning 
parents for me. Maybe if someone just hears my story. So this is them getting ready to go in the church. She's doing his tie. And they went in to St. Mark's Missionary Baptist Church in St. Petersburg, Florida. And Davion stood in front of 300 people, shared his story, and he said this. He said, my name is Davion, and I've been in foster care since I was born. I know God hasn't given up on me, so I'm not giving up either. He went on to say, I'll take anyone, old or young, dad or mom, black, white, purple, I don't care. And I would be really appreciative. I would be the best kid that I could be. Man, when I read that um, story, what really stuck most um, in my mind was that no child should ever have to go any place and beg for parents, and especially not the church. We as the church should be going to Davion. Um, I heard a, a social worker one time share, and she said, we as believers as the church, she said, believers should be lined up at my door saying we have come for our children. Um, guys, I really believe wholeheartedly that wherever there is a church, whether it's in the United States or overseas somewhere, wherever there is a church, there should not be a single orphan. And so lastly, um, why is it that we cannot outsource James 1.27? And it's because we have more than enough. And what do I mean by that? Um, so I shared with you there's about 100,000 kids um, who are legally available for adoption right now. And by the way, if you don't know, it's completely free to adopt from foster care. A lot of people don't know that. So we have 100,000 kids that need homes. There's about 350,000 churches in the United States. So you do the math. That means one family out of every three churches. If one family out of every three churches adopted, there would be no kids in the foster care system. Now let's bring it closer to home. I want to talk about what is going on, again, in our own backyard. What is going on in the state of Utah? And we have some statistics for that. So in Utah, we have around 567 kids who are legally available for adoption. So out of those 100,000, we have 567. Those are our kids. We have about 2,582 churches in the state. So that means if one family out of every four churches adopted a child, we could literally wipe out the Utah foster care system. Um, that's just 1.2% of the 45,000 people who attend church uh, in Utah on a Sunday. Okay, let's bring it even closer to home. Let's talk about Salt Lake City and Davis County, Salt Lake and Davis County. We have about 11,000 people who make up the 10 largest churches here in the valley. So that means a 5.1% adopted. Again, there would be no kids left in the Utah foster care system. Um, I remember the first time I heard that first statistic, the one I shared with you, the one in three, one family out of every three churches adopted. Um, I remember hearing that, and what came to my mind was, what are we as the church, and I don't mean K2, I mean the church at large, what are we as the church doing with our time and our resources and our money that's so much more important than providing a home for a child? I'm really hard-pressed to find a whole lot of things that are higher on the list. So, um, so here's the deal, though. We are not all called to adopt. 
I really believe that. Not everybody is called to adopt. Not everybody is called to bring a child into their home um, or foster. But um, we are all called to serve. And um, I like to call those um, support roles. And a lot of people just don't even know what those support roles are. They're probably sitting out there and going, I would love to help, but I just don't even know what there are. I'm here to tell you there are dozens of ways. And we're going to be teaching a class here um, starting in mid-April called, uh, uh, what is it called? (laughs) Orphan Care 101. And um, we're going to be talking about things like adoption and foster care. So if you are interested in those, we are definitely going to be talking about those in that class. But we're also going to be talking about what are these support roles? What would it look like, for instance, for your Life Together group to um, adopt a family, come around a family who has brought a child into their home and serve them? What would it look like to mentor a child who has aged out? So those 100,000 kids, every year, 20,000 of them age out of the system. They turn 18, nobody has adopted them, they age out, they have virtually nothing, and the statistics for them are just are awful. Um, and we have a program here in Utah, or actually in Salt Lake, um, called Utah Youth Mentoring Project, and they hook up families and individuals with a child who has aged out. And so you get to walk alongside that child, um, make them part of your family, have them over for dinner. I talked to one of these kids one time, and he said, I never received a birthday card in my entire life until I got a mentor. It's something that we all can do. Um, One other thing that I just want to draw your attention to, an awesome way to serve, is something that's called uh, the Chosen Marathon. And um, the Chosen Marathon was started about four years ago by a lady that I met while I was living in Texas. And the idea behind the the marathon um, is twofold. It's to raise awareness um, for orphan care and adoption, but it's also to raise money. Families can form teams. Um, who, families who are adopting can form teams. They ask people to join, and 100% of their uh, entrance fee goes back to the adoption. People can also form teams around orphan care projects. So, um, for example, our um, Ekudzeni um, Care Point um, in Swaziland, we are going to have a team of people who are going to run for that care point. Um, and so we, like I said, we are going to actually be their first franchise. Um, the four, uh, I'm sorry, the Chosen Marathon is coming to Salt Lake City in the fall, in September. And um, we just wanted to give you a really quick uh, look into what that kind of looks like. <laughs> years now and we've finally been able to participate and actually help out at least one family in our church to, to adopt. started with a group of five and we ended up raising $15,000 for our baby's adoption. We have about 100 people running on behalf of that team. Chosen has been such a blessing for us with baby Zoe. Chosen has helped us beyond just the financial burden, but I'd say more than anything, even the awareness of how many children are out there that are needing help. Chosen really opened our eyes to that. At first, we just wanted to help other families, and then 
somehow in the process we became one of the families who decided to help the fatherless and it was just a clear call to us. I am chosen and chosen. I am chosen. So that's a little look into um, what we have coming here, and we are going to need hundreds of volunteers for that day. Um, we, we obviously need runners, um, but we need tons of volunteers, and that is a great way for you guys um, to kind of get your feet wet into what it might look like um, to come alongside and somehow care for the orphan. Um, there's a next step cards, actually, that you guys have. And um, Chosen Marathon, if you are interested in, in anything, volunteering, running, whatever, you can actually check that. Um, and we actually have a table in the lobby that you can take that to. And the other thing that is on the card is the, the class that I was sharing. Um, you can check that here, or you can actually register for the class, I think, out at the table or at the info booth. Um, I just want to leave you really quickly uh, with, with one quote that I just read this week, and I was like, Oh, wow. <laughs> That's exactly what we're talking about this week. And it's, by, it's from a guy named Simon Sinek. Um, he does a lot of leadership training. And um, he says this. He says, people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. And what you do simply proves what you believe. And my prayer and hope for K2 as a church, for the churches throughout the valley, and then for the entire state is that we as a group of believers become known in this state as people who care for orphans and come alongside of vulnerable children. And so that when people ask you, why do you do this? Why did you do this? You can say, it's because what Jesus did for me. Let me pray for you guys. Father, what um, an amazing privilege it is to even just call you that, to call you Father, and to know that um, you didn't just save us um, from our sins, but that you went one step further and you decided to adopt us. And God, I pray for every person that's here. Um, I ask that you would um, just grow those roots deeper into, into their souls, the fact that they have been adopted. Um, and then from that, God, that you would show them um, what their role is in caring for the orphan. I really believe that nobody is here on accident. Um, and so I just pray that you would speak to each person intimately and individually as to what their role is. We pray, God, for all the orphans that there are in the world. God, you say you're a father to the fatherless, and we are believing that. And we are just privileged that you have asked us to come alongside you um, in, in doing some of that care. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.